Have you felt a longing to connect with the Divine Feminine? Then you're gonna love this interview with Megan Watterson, who's one of the world's leading authorities on the Divine Feminine. In her latest book, Mary Magdalene Revealed, she offers us the key to reclaiming the Divine Feminine aspect of Christianity. The Gospel of Mary Magdalene is as old and as authentic as any of the Gospels that now make up the Christian Bible. And Megan is going to share with you the message Mary Magdalene's Gospel has for all of us. A message that helps us to discover the radical presence of love around and within us. This is the story of Christianity that we've been missing. Let's head over to this interview now. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for connecting with us today. It's always, always such a sacred blessing to speak with you. Thank you. Now, you have written a new book called Mary Magdalene Revealed, and this book has just touched the depth of my soul in a way that I can't describe it. It's like something is awakening within me as I'm reading it. And what inspired you to write this book and how has this book changed you? I came across the Gospel of Mary Magdalene when I was a divinity student. I got a degree in theological studies and in divinity. And I was absolutely blown away by her gospel and what it suggests about Christ and about their relationship, the relationship between Christ and Mary Magdalene, because it wasn't something that I had ever come across before. Mm. All I had ever known about Mary Magdalene before I went to become you know, a scholar and a theologian was that she was considered to be the prostitute within Catholicism. That was really all I knew about her. And when I came across her gospel, I realized that there was so much more to the story. And I also realized um, there isn't a way to describe it in words, but there was a knowing that was in my body as I was reading the gospel. There was this sense that this is what I have been missing. Like Mm. this this is what I believe in and had always believed in, but I never had the scripture to validate my belief. No one ever told me her gospel existed. And once I started studying it and really beginning to unpack and, you know, translate the parts of her gospel, the teachings that I think we were meant to receive from her specifically, I began to understand that this really is, for me, the gospel that's been missing. It's why I've never felt at home in a Christianity that excluded her gospel. Mm. You also share in the book what the changes that happened in the Christian teachings and how many of the Gospels were kind of ordered to be destroyed. Would you mind sharing that with us? Because that was, again, I I said that to my husband in the car. I was telling him all this stuff. Did you know? Did you know? (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, because that was what set me on fire, Mm. um, was trying to understand, okay, How did the erasure of her true identity and of her voice, her gospel, how did it disappear from the face of Christianity when, in my opinion, it has some of the most crucial messages we could receive from the whole Christ story? So how did it go about disappearing and becoming a threat 
So I began to study early Christianity. And when I was at Harvard, there is a scholar there named Karen King. And Dr. King has translated Mary's gospel in a a very, it's an absolutely profound translation of Mary's gospel. It's called the gospel of Mary of Magdala. And she translates her entire gospel, but then also contextualizes the gospel within early Christianity. And what she refers to it as is Christianities, plural, Mm -hmm. that in the first and second century, we had many different forms of Christianities that were created in the wake of Christ and trying to understand, okay, what what just happened? Who mm-hmm. was that? And what were we meant to learn from this? And so in the first and second century, there was a very radical form of Christianity that was a threat to the Roman hierarchical structures. The Roman society had very entrenched ideas of existence, right? Like the highest is, of course, the emperor. So, for example, in about 203, which is when this phenomenal saint who I love so much named Perpetua was alive, she was jailed and sentenced to death for being a Christian because at that time, Christianity was a threat to the Roman Empire because they ultimately saw Christ and God as, you know, greater than the emperor, right? Mm -hmm. Like that these forms of existence, for example, that a woman has the same status as like a slave, you know, and then a man with power or a man who's a citizen has more power than a slave or a woman. Like there were these very, you know, structured ideas of our human value, depending on our, you know, wealth and our status and whether we're male and female. Mm. And the Christianity of that time, the Christianity that Perpetua practiced was one that believed, for example, her sister Felicitas, well, she was a slave, but she refers to her as her sister because in Christ, they are one. There Mm. is no difference between them. Even though Perpetua was a high-born, wealthy woman and Felicitas was a slave, they referred to each other as sisters. So this was a threat to the Roman Empire, this idea that we could all be created equal, that we Mm. could all be equal in the eyes of love. And so Felicitas and Perpetua were killed for being Christians. Now, fast forward another hundred years when Constantine who's the emperor, decides that Christianity is going to become the religion. Instead of this like, you know, exiled, struggling little band of Christians, he wants to make Christianity into the state religion. So a council is called together of all these various bishops from all over to compile what would become the first version of the Bible. And what they decide is that in order to make Christianity less radical and more palpable to the state, right, a state Mm -hmm. that that still sees men and women as different, still sees slave and free as different, in order to translate it to that structure, it became a religion that was redefined by men. And the roles of women got retold because before then there were women apostles, there were women preachers and 
priestesses and deacons, they played an essential and crucial part in that early form of Christianity. I know. And that was also what I was sharing with my husband, that did you know there were female apostles (laughs) around him? And he's like, really? Yeah, this is the story that we were never told, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so gospels like the gospel of Mary Magdalene, where it's very clear in her gospel, obviously that she's a leader, she's an Mm. authority among the disciples, gospels like the gospel of Mary Magdalene and gospels like the Acts of Paul and Thecla, another sacred scripture that I adore. In the Acts of Paul and Thecla, for example, which I mention in the book, when I came across this, it blew me away because we all know the conversion story about Paul, right? We mm-hmm. all know about Paul, but very few of us have ever heard of Thecla mm-hmm. or know about Thecla. And yet she was his companion in the sense that not that they were married or together physically, but they taught together. Mm. And this scripture, which dates all the way back to 70 AD. So this is not um, because a lot of people like to discount or disqualify these other texts as quote unquote Gnostic or as being texts that came after or were separate from Christianity somehow. And I think What Dr. Karen King really helped me to understand was that, no, this is as valid as any of the Gospels that were chosen for the New Testament. It's just that they were chosen to tell one particular side of the story, one Mm -hmm. particular narrative about who Christ was and about what Christianity was to become. But there were these other texts that are just as relevant and valid and powerful and pertinent to the Christian story that tell a very different story of who Christ was. And for Thecla, you know, she was a Turkish teenager who was destined, you know, to marry a man that her family wanted her to marry. And, you know, she didn't want to be defined by her role as a woman, meaning she didn't just want to be her father's daughter and her husband's wife and her son's mother. She wanted to be able to become who her soul said she was. You know, Mm. she wanted to be able to follow the dictates of something inside her. And so Thecla's story is in the Acts of Paul and Thecla, and it's one of the most beautiful and powerful stories I have ever read. And she ends up refusing to marry because she hears Paul, and she hears Paul talk about his experiences with Christ, and she is forever changed, and she's compelled to follow him and to teach with him. And she asks him at one point, after going through several trials, she wants to be baptized. And Paul says that, you know, she's not ready. And she says, just give me the seal of Christ and no trial will befall me. No trial will touch me. And she ends up having to go through several more trials. And at the end of her story, she's also sentenced to death in the arena by wild animals. And the women in the stadium end up saving her because they recognize her innocence. And they recognize what's going on. So the scripture says the women's voices unify as if with one mouth. It's all of them unifying together and saying, no, this is wrong and this can't happen. And they refuse to let her be harmed. And so they end up throwing cinnamon and cardamom and all of these beautiful aromas that lull the wild beast to sleep. And so they end up saving her. Beautiful. And she baptizes herself. So scriptures like that, they, you know, of course, didn't want to include because it would threaten the power that they were trying to 
create. Yeah, because these stories, they reveal these powerful women that were a teacher in their own right and that were sharing Christ's message of love and unity to to the masses as well. And obviously the Roman Empire then wouldn't have wanted that. Exactly. Yeah. So what happened then? Because many of these Gospels, they were kind of ordered to be destroyed, weren't they? So what happened with them? Yes. So there was an edict that went out in about 340 AD where the Bishop of Alexandria said, okay, we have the canon now, you know, we have the gospels that we're going to determine as scripture and that are going to be a part of the official, you know, what became the New Testament. So they had that decided and they, all the other gospels were ordered to be destroyed. But what happened was there was a group of renegade monks and They buried and stuffed into caves, like in a urn. They took the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and they saved it from complete erasure by burying it and hiding it in caves. And so we we have three copies of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene because of them. It's amazing how they were found so many, I mean, thousands of years later, really. It's like we were not ready until now. Exactly, exactly. The Gospel of Mary Magdalene, there are some chapters missing in there, and it's not a massive gospel, but what she does write is just extraordinary. And one of the things she, she writes in there is that she asks Christ, So now, Lord, does a person who sees a vision see it with the soul or with the spirit? (laughs) And the Savior answered, a person doesn't see it with the soul or with the spirit, rather the mind which exists between the two sees the vision. Can you please elaborate on this one, please? So that was the portion of the gospel that excited me the most when I came across it, because Mm. To me, first of all, that question that Mary asked Christ, to me, that's the most important question we could ever have the answer to, because it is the way that we directly connect to the divine, to spirit Mm. from within us. Mm. So if we understand that, if we know the answer to that, then there is no power outside of us that could ever keep us from that connection, right? Because it comes from within. So Mm. to me, it was so exciting to read that question because it also isn't brought up in such an explicit way in any other gospel. And what I learned when I was studying the gospel is that she is asking this of Christ in a vision itself. So she's recounting to the disciples, you know, throughout her whole gospel, a vision that she had of Christ where she's asking him, how is it that I'm seeing you? Mm. You know, like with what aperture, with what spiritual aspect of my being, how am I seeing you? And when he responds, he says, it is neither with the soul nor the spirit, but the mind, which exists between the two. And that also sent me on years and years of research, because that word mind isn't translatable in English. It isn't mind in the sense that we think of in, you know, modern day. Mind is best left in the Greek. So the two copies of the gospel that we have that are in Greek, they use this word new, N-O-U-S. And that word in Greek, if you keep it in Greek and don't try to translate it, if you keep it in Greek, it really refers to the spiritual eye of the heart. Mm, I love that. Isn't that just gorgeous? So so it's the aspect of the heart that we have access to in this lifetime, like in, in our body, 
where we can actually see with the eyes of the soul. So it's like we're encountering the soul. And it's as if there's this Latin phrase, cor ad cor loquidor, which means heart speaks to heart directly. And what this is saying is that there is a spiritual eye of the heart. There's this aperture that exists within us and that we can access while we're human that is really as if we can speak to another heart to heart and we don't have to be in the same room. We don't have to be in the same country. We don't even have to each be alive, if that makes mm, sense. One absolutely. of us can, can have passed over mm-hmm. and one of us can still be here in the body and we can hear each other heart to heart, corat cor loquidor. Mm. And that's what he's referring to. And it's so incredible and distressing and mysterious. But the remaining three pages of the, her gospel are torn out, right, as that question is being answered. So it's as if, you know, the full response that he was going to give to Mary Magdalene was too radical. Each of the fragments of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene that we found are missing those pages in the center of the gospel right after she asked that question. So I I think that that was too threatening to, you know, a church that wanted to establish its power. If there's a scripture that talks about the way Christ, you know, describes to Mary his beloved companion, which is how she's referred to in other gospels that were found at Nag Hammadi, his kanonos, which in Greek means companion. If that's torn out, to me, it indicates that he was giving very powerful secret teaching as as to how we can receive from within, how we can receive direct messages from within and connect directly. Mm, I love that. I love that. There are so many things with this that I loved. Another one that she says is, The Savior replied, there is no such thing as sin, rather you yourselves are what produces sin when you act in accordance with the nature of adultery, which is called sin. Now, this is something that A Course in Miracles talks about a lot too, that there is no sin. So can you elaborate on, on this, please, from her gospel? So I get chills when I talk about this because it it feels so deeply true Mm -hmm. to me. So that word adultery, it just means an illegitimate mixing, Mm -hmm. okay, of two things that are meant to be separate or understood as separate. So how I interpret that passage is that there isn't like some sort of, you know, intrinsic evil or sinfulness that humanity is born into or that we are when we come into this world. It's that we are a soul and we are an ego. And what happens is there's an illegitimate mixing of those two things where we confuse our true self for the ego. And we think we are this ego and then we act from the ego. That is when we create it ourselves. This mixing the mark, which is how sin is actually translated from the the Greek is simply Mm. missing the mark. Yeah, I know. So so rather than, you know, an entire idea and an entire really theology of original sin that was later created by church fathers, this is saying we create a misunderstanding of ourselves when we do not take the time and the mindfulness to recognize the soul versus the ego, which of course we need, right? To not show up at the grocery store naked. Like we need an ego. (laughs) We'll be run over. Yeah, we need the ego, but we do not want to mistake the ego as our true self. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, that's the message. Yeah. 
I love that. I love that also because it never felt right for me, this whole notion of that you're born into original sin. It's like, no, no. Yeah. And that you have to beg for forgiveness or atonement. Yeah. And that's partly why I love the Course of Miracles, because it says there is no sin. You know, it's just right. that you listen to the ego's insane belief system when the ego right. is left to run the show. And that's all it is. It's just a belief system that you thought was true, but it's not true. And then when you take right. action from that, you miscreate. So that's right. how the course distinguishes between the two. You create when you are acting from your soul and you miscreate when you're listening right. to the ego. And I, right. I love that exactly. it tied in with that. So how beautiful. Can you imagine how much guilt we can just let go of when we embrace that awareness, that insight that there is no sin. We are just listening to the wrong voice and that's all it is. Right, right. It creates such a powerful opportunity of forgiveness yeah. and really understanding that there is nothing to forgive. I yeah. mean, that's how deep it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you, there are two things here. I'm going to ask you both, but one was that you explain in your book about an amazing episode you had when you were working with a shaman and working with shamanic energy medicine myself. I just love that, how you turned down into the <laughs> underworld with the tree and stuff. Because obviously you retrieved back your own soul essence that you needed and an awareness that you needed. But would you like to share that with us, please, what you experienced there? So the Gospel of Mary Magdalene talks a lot about the word that's used in the Greek is is this word anthropos. And again, it's another word that's difficult to translate into English. To do it justice, you kind of have to leave it in its term. But what it means is it's a being that is fully human and fully divine. Mm. And not one or the other or 50-50, it's like 100% human and 100% divine. And the Gospel of Mary is saying, Christ created a template where he reached a state of union where he was fully human, fully divine. He's anthropos. Mm -hmm. And that this is what we all, the child of true humanity exists within us, which means the anthropos, that state of being, of becoming conscious that we are both fully human and fully divine in this lifetime. We have that potential to reach that state, we all do. And it's part of what Mary's gospel says he led her through, is mm -hmm. through this process of understanding the seven powers that exist within every human being, um, the powers of the ego, we could say. And that if we're able to recognize them and not be fooled by them um, or misled and misguided by them, then we can reach this state of union. So when I was with the shaman, I was doing work because I, you know, I had this, and I'm sure listeners, and I'm sure you can identify with this, it's really a kind of longing, a desperate longing really for this missing part of myself. Like that's mm -hmm. what it felt like. It felt like I knew it existed, but I didn't know how to reach it. And it felt like you know, when I would go into meditation, I would weep and I would feel this sense of like, I had been separated from something that means everything to me, you mm -hmm. know, and I, I didn't know how to integrate that, you know, or, or what to do with it. And therapy, talk therapy is wonderful and, and it has its right places, but I just intuitively knew 
that working with a shaman was what I needed to do. And that also came from studying Jung and this concept of, you know, the liminal spaces, like the imagination. Um, I had been exposed to Native American traditions and I knew that there was no such thing as the imagination in those in those cultures and, and those ideas, like what we imagine, what we can dream is, is almost like a, another reality. It's, it has power that the Western culture doesn't necessarily understand how to attribute, right? So mm-hmm. I wanted to go more into that. Like I wanted to understand, okay, what happens when someone goes on a shamanic journey and why do people really change and get healed? And I had heard about shamans when I was living on a reservation with Native Americans. And so it became a part of something that I wanted to try. And so I studied with a shaman for a year. And the most powerful experience I had was the what I write about in Mary Magdalene Revealed was the last time I, I met with her. And what ended up happening was a vision of what I thought, you know, like in the years that would follow I, um, like for example, and this isn't something I say in the book after I had the experience that I had in, in the session, in the journey, I broke up with my boyfriend and I, I kind of prepared to meet this love that I met with when I was on the journey, what I didn't understand fully and what I couldn't really integrate until I was on the pilgrimage that I write about in Mary Magdalene Revealed is that this is that other half of me. This is um, the love that I met with when I was in that vision. It was like going, it was in the underworld and mm-hmm. it was like in, in this ancient cave and it was more love than I can express. And it was a masculine presence. And it was just a love that never leaves and had never left and has no beginning and has no end. It's just a love that never dies. Mm. And um, when I came back from the vision, I was wearing a red thread. And so was the shaman. And to me, it was symbolic of the lineage of Christ remembered in this way, you know, this, this practice of becoming more love and of integrating with the soul while we're human. And so I felt like I had been initiated into a lineage in that moment. And what I would remember and then sometimes forget is that, you know, I really wanted to find that in a human form. I wanted to find, you know, I, I thought that love would eventually be in another person, if you know what I mean. It would, I would find it in a partner. And, you know, I broke my heart up against many relationships wanting that and thinking that that's, that was the vision. But the vision was about what I already contained. And I needed to go through, you know, the spiritual practices that Mary's gospel teaches in order to reach a place where I could finally really integrate that and understand it. It was like I met with that, the fullness of that knowing of being fully human and fully divine. And and that love is me. I mean, it's so much more than me, but was always within me. And Mm. that's something I found when I reached Mary Magdalene's cave at the end of the book was being able to experience that fully. Absolutely. I found that chapter in your book was very moving it's like you are this is just my my take on it so it might not be true at all but what I kind of felt in that it's like the love story of Mary Magdalene and Christ is kind of living out through you and through your teachings 
And through that love story, we are witnessing also that that beautiful sacred marriage of the divine feminine and the divine masculine in a human form and in a divine form. And it's kind of showing us the blueprint of, yeah. of how we can be. Yes. And it's, uh, I can understand the longing of the experience that you would then have, but I want it now, also in this body. But it's like that mystical marriage taking place within you. And then the ego hijacking that a little bit going, but I want it in my next relationship. <laughs> so it's kind of searching for that. And then the understanding coming through you that I'm having it now again on the inside. Right. I'm, I'm connecting with that within me. And then as I'm connecting with that within me, I start to extend that love out through me, working right. through the, the various disconnects <laughs> that we have in our psyche from right. forgetting that that love is within us. Does that make right. sense? Yes, that's exactly it. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. When I read that, I, I just wanted to kiss you. I was like, yes, <laughs> because I feel that that vision you had is a longing that I think many, many, many can sense because it's that mm -hmm. longing of union with that that is so much more right. than what we could ever possibly put into words. Right, right. That was the most difficult chapter to write, but also the most transformative once I finally could, because it's like I needed to write something that exists beyond words. You know, it's mm -hmm. like words end and then that's where the experience starts. Yeah. So it was so difficult to describe. But when I finished that chapter, I literally felt something. I cried and then and I felt something in my body like release. It just, yeah. it was liberating. Yeah, I can sense that. Working with shamanic stuff, I thought you described that beautifully because it's, it's so beyond words what you experience when you go on these journeys. So my next one is, what do you feel is the main point in Mary Magdalene's gospel? I think it would be that we are all equal. That's, I think, one of the most powerful and relevant messages right now. We are all equal in the sense that, you know, her gospel makes clear that it, it isn't whether we are male or female or the color of our skin or, you know, our social status. What creates the quality of our being is, is the inner transformation that we've gone through. So spiritual authority doesn't come from being you know, male inner gospel, which was also a threat, obviously, to the church as it was forming in the fourth century. Her gospel says it's the quality of the inner transformation that we've gone through, that transformation to meet with the soul in the heart. And so the gospel goes through the seven powers of the ego, which to me is just, it's just so absolutely phenomenal. Because what it said to me, which was such a relief, was sort of, you know, reading through these various powers of the ego, which would much later become the seven deadly sins of Christianity. But that's a misinterpretation of what these seven powers are. What these seven powers are basically saying is, hello, you know, welcome to being human. Mm -hmm. You know, you will feel darkness. You will feel anger. You know, you'll feel wrath. You'll feel envy, you'll feel all of these powers of the ego. This is a part of what it means to be human. But that is not you. That is not what lasts. 
That is, let's be certain to identify these powers of what it is to be human so that you can recognize the soul, which is the aspect of you that came into this human body and that will leave this human body and the seven powers behind. So, so basically, for me, it was such a relief because it was saying it's not wrong when you, for example, when you feel anger, that there's nothing sinful or wrong or you're not being less than, right? You're not deviating. This is what it is. You know, this is all part of it. It's part of what it means to be anthropos. You're to be fully human and fully divine. You just want to be able to have the consciousness anchored in the heart, anchored in what is actually lasting and true, which is the soul. So that when you are encountering these seven powers of the ego, for example, darkness, you know, when you are in the depths and the darkness, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing shameful. There's nothing you need to feel guilty about or like you're somehow unholy because you're feeling depressed or you're in this dark place. It's that when we also have the consciousness of the soul, we get to choose then how long we stay in it. And we get to choose whether or not we act from it. And that's the difference. And that's the message is, you know, that we are fully human and fully divine. So we are the soul and the ego. We are meant to be both. It's not either or. It's not that we're meant to only be in the soul, you know, while we're human. We're missing the whole point then. Mm -hmm. If we don't experience darkness and loss and anger, we're missing the whole point. We're not meant to be incarnated angels. We're meant to be fully human and fully divine. So Mm -hmm. it's right and it's good that you're angry. It's just don't forget, don't forget that you're also a soul. And in any moment, you can have the consciousness to then transmute that anger or that darkness into something that becomes more love, into something that allows you to act from the depth of empathy, from the depths of knowing, you know, from experience, and allows you to become an even greater force of love in the world. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. I was just teaching the other weekend and we were talking about this. And I suddenly had this sort of image of how, because following A Course in Miracles, we are pretty clear on not to think from the ego. But I also feel the ego is, you know, it would need it. Otherwise, we would literally be run over because you would just feel at one with everything. So you wouldn't be able to function. But it's just that when we get stuck in the ego's mindset, it's like everything becomes dark. But in that darkness, if we can then remember to awaken, it's like Yogananda said that the only difference between a piece of coal and a diamond is the pressure that's been exerted on it. So I just could suddenly see it's like when we are in that darkness and we suddenly, because it's a pressure, we suddenly remember the truth of who we are. It's like we then start to polish that diamond. It's like we start to cut that little diamond through all the experiences we've had whilst in our body, whilst in our ego self. And through that, by then bringing the light down into those cuts, into those aspects within us, our inner diamond can start to shine. And it will shine in its own unique way, just like a snowflake is unique, but it's the same light in all of us. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. There couldn't be a more fitting metaphor. I absolutely and love ha- that. We have to be in our bodies to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to Exactly. Be- and that's what I think. That's the forget. opportunity. Yeah. That's the opportunity of being human and being embodied yeah. is, is we get to do this. And, and your metaphor reminded me of, you know, one of the greatest messages or really spiritual teachings that I felt like I was being led to understand while trying to write this book, which took me three years to write, was let love reach where it has never been before. That was the constant pressure. Like when you say pressure, that's how I understood it. There were all these aspects of my life where the, you know they began to surface and I began to understand that's exactly what it is. It's to be in the depths of whatever that trauma was or whatever that experience was, but to bring light to it, to bring love Mm -hmm. to it, to become aware within it while I'm in the depths of it. Mm -hmm. And that's how we let love reach where it's never been before is we awaken in those moments of, you know, complete pure ego and we transmute it. We transform it by, by bringing love there where, you know, where before there was only darkness. I love how we can access that through our body because our body is our past. Our body carries every little pain, every wound we have not healed. We will store in our body, in our unconscious mind. So the body can be that entry point, whether it's through us feeling anxious or having a rash or having an illness or a symptom or just feeling low. The body is not the enemy. The body can be that awakener, I feel, that helps us to remember, oh, this is an area I haven't healed yet. Let's bring some light into that. And I feel sometimes in the spiritual community, and not just in the spiritual community, I, I think generally people disconnect from their body. So they take a painkiller or they just feel it's a burden or they don't want to know and they right. run into their heads instead. Right. And I think what you are sharing and what Mary Magdalene is sharing is bring in the body too. Right, right. The body never lies. Yeah. The body never yeah. lies. And there's nothing, nothing more sacred than the relationship between ourself and our body because our body is our soul's chance to be here. So that that's the the union as well that Mary's gospel emphasizes is that you know we are meant to be fully human that means having a body. There's nothing shameful about this body. You know, we we can't be here without it. So we're not more holy if we don't listen to it and we deny it and we make it suffer. That's not more spiritual. And that really has been a spiritual ideal is transcending the body. And and this is saying the exact opposite. This is saying, no, no, be in the body, be here and be present to the body because the body's the soul's chance to be here. Mm, Beautiful. I love it. I love it. So if Mary Magdalene could speak to us now, what would her teachings be? What would she say? What would her message be? I think it's still what's in the gospel. I think we need to receive it now. I think we're ready to receive it now. But I think she would say much of the same things that she said thousands of years ago, which is about being able to identify this love that never ends, that exists within us. And we don't need to be bound to the ego. We are, and most of us are bound by the ego and blinded by it. But we want to learn how to recognize the soul as often as possible and as frequently as we can all throughout the day, recognize the soul and see any given situation with the eyes of love 
rather than the eyes of the ego. And that this slowly but surely over time, this allows us to experience a world that's within this world, but also not of it. You know, it allows us to be able to merge with that aspect of us that never changes. You know, that is that love that never ends. And it's a love that changes everything once we're able to experience it and act from it. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. And that's what your vision showed you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, as always, it's always such a blessing to to speak with you. I feel very, very blessed, really, that we can have these conversations. If you want to find out more about Megan, then visit meganwatterson.com where you can also receive her free guided soul voice meditation. And if you'd like to receive another free guided meditation, a meditation that helps you surrender so you can let spirit lead, then visit cecilwilliams.com. Sending you lots of love until our next week's episode. Bye bye everyone. Bye bye.